Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back, my friends, to the Pilgrimage Podcast. My name is Joshua Luke Smith, and this is a space for the curious, creative, and contemplative souls. It is good to be together again. I'm excited about jumping into part seven of this series that we've been exploring called The Kingdom Is Yours. Before we get into that, a couple of things. First one, shine on my new single. The debut single from my debut album is out in the world, so you can check that out, stream it, share it. We also dropped the video, but this is more than a music video, man. This is a short film. It's a project we've been spending months on, um, co-directed by myself and Dominic Doran, the one and only. You've seen his incredible visual um, gift across a bunch of other videos I've done, and uh, that's out in the world, so please go check that out. If you want to support this this podcast, we have no advertising, we've got no marketing. This is a podcast from the people for the people. If you want to help sustain this podcast, you can sign up at thepilgrimage.co and get a bunch of other perks alongside it. Um, at the moment, I'm sending out a bi-weekly video with just some more reflections and um, thoughts to share with you all in these, I'm not going to say it, in these times. Every word in front of times is a word that has been said too many times. <laughs> so if you want to check it out, you can go to thepilgrimage.co. I've dropped a new merch collection. All pilgrimage subscribers get discounts on that and um, many other things. So if you want to support this this uh, podcast, go sign up at thepilgrimage.co. Support us on Instagram. You can follow us at thepilgrimage.co. But without further ado, let's get into this. This is part seven of The Kingdom is Yours. Yes, 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 I can't believe it. We're at part seven already. We've been on this journey for a while, this this uh, this series, and I can't believe we're getting towards the end, man. We're wrapping this thing up. I have I've loved it, man. It's been an incredible experience. Um, and I would love to hear how it's been for you. You know, if you want to get in touch with me, you can you can just slide into those DMs on Instagram. You can message me there. You can you can email hello at thepilgrimage.co. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and some of your reflections of this series um, if you've been following along with us. And if you have, you know we've been on this journey exploring what it means to live a full life. And we've been digging into and reflecting upon this ancient sermon given by Jesus on the street, <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount given to his followers over 2000 years ago. And it's a sermon in which he turns everything upside down. All the ways that we are taught what it means to be successful and what it means to be powerful. He's turning it upside down for us so that we can access what he calls the kingdom. And I've talked about this throughout the series, the kingdom being the bigger picture. The kingdom being the perspective and the experience of a life that is so the opposite of self-obsessed, a life that is aware of those around us, not only the people, but creation itself. The kingdom is the representation of, of the divine here on earth. The kingdom reveals earth's original blueprint design this place that was originally named good and therefore every person who walks this planet bears the blueprint of divine image and we get to be those that restore them to it and bring 
redemption and restoration and joy and beauty and dignity back into our experience here. These words are lofty and poetic, but they're also simple and practical. And I'm going to begin, like I do each episode, reading the Beatitudes, reading this manifesto of the kingdom that Jesus brought. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, this this line is provocative. This statement that Jesus made was provocative. Now, as much as it was then, you know, he was speaking into this deeply religious culture, this reverent culture, this culture where the stories of God were well known, you know, where the scriptures were taught and digested. And the idea of God was one of a being that was so removed and lofty and beyond and transcendent of humanity, right? Throughout the scriptures, there are stories upon stories that these men would have known listening. Stories upon stories of how God's face was unattainable. No one could see God. And when people tried to see God, they often died. Um, His face, his expression was too holy to be seen by a mere man, you know? Even Moses, Moses, the great leader of the faith, said, God, let me see your face. And God said, you cannot see my face and still live. So deep in the in the kind of Hebrew psyche is, I can't see God, you know? There's no way of seeing God. He's too beyond me. He's too lofty. He's, he's too far away. He's too holy. He's too brilliant. And then Jesus comes along and said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I, I don't know your story. I don't know if you grew up around these stories, these scriptures. If you didn't, I hope that through this series, you're coming to see that the teachings of Jesus are teachings about what it means to be human, about what it means to live here and now, about what it means to impact our neighbors and the world around us in a incredibly positive way. Uh, I hope you're realizing that these teachings are deeply mystical and mysterious and they're wrapped around the nuance of this idea that death isn't the end and that there's an opportunity for resurrection in every single moment of our life, in those moments that feel too far gone and in those moments that feel defined by despair and disappointment, resurrection is bursting forth even here and even now. And if you have grown up around the tradition, if you have grown up around these stories, 
even here in this line, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, might be filled with baggage for you. It might be filled with a sense of guilt. That word pure, um, in, in the tradition that most of us grew up in, as young people hearing about purity and what it meant to be pure, for me, it was synonymous with doing the right thing. There was always the purity talk, right, in youth group. And it was basically about what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do when it came to physical relationships, um, you know, with other teenagers. And staying pure was about walking this tightrope of do's and don'ts, you know. And so there'd always be these conversations of like, how far is too far? You know, like, what can I do but remain pure? And... um as I've got older, I've realized that to be to be true because so many people later on in life in their 20s and in their 30s are still carrying the wounds and the baggage, the shame and the guilt that a, a very confined idea of purity brought upon them. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will, for they will see God, it's very easy for us to fall back into that mindset, which is, you know, Jesus is saying, as long as you do the right things, as long as you abstain from certain bad things, then you'll get to be one of the lucky people that see God. And of course, because it's Jesus and everything that Jesus says is so much deeper and both deeper and transcendent than anything we're expecting, it goes far beyond those kind of limited definitions of purity. And I want to dig into that today because it truly is liberating. It truly, truly is liberating. As I was saying before, the context that Jesus is speaking into is a context where the idea, the notion of seeing God um, is unfamiliar. And Jesus has come to reveal God. It says throughout the scriptures that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So I always kind of laugh when I read that line because in a sense, Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure heart for they will see God. Oh, by the way, you're looking at him right now. And the, <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Jesus's ministry for these three years on earth is that so many people saw him, but they didn't really see him, right? They were looking right at him, but they didn't realize that who they were looking at was God himself. And that was so deeply frustrating, I'm sure, for Jesus. And he did all these things like these miracles and told these incredible stories that would help people realize who they were looking at. Um, but more often than not, people didn't get it. And it obviously led to his death on the cross. And he was killed for blasphemy. He was killed because he professed to be God. You know, in, in one of the gospels, in, in the gospel of John, he says, before Abraham was, I am. So before the, the oldest patriarch of the faith, Abraham, before he was, I am. I am is this this word, this name for God, you know, reserved for God, for um, the almighty Elohim. And so when he said it, he was evoking the idea that he was God. And the, the next verse is, so the men picked up stones to kill him. And so he ended up being killed on the cross for being this blaspheming, you know, prophet teacher who walked around the streets giving sermons like this. And so it's so funny he says it, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I wonder if he just lingered, if he paused after saying that. Like anybody, anybody see me? You know, anybody see God right now? 
And really the rest of his teachings is about how to be someone who could actually bear witness to what's going on right in front of them. Purity is a loaded word because like I was saying, it's so synonymous with do's and don'ts. And I wanna broaden the idea of purity. Um, the theologian, philosopher Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. So rather than being pure, being defined by did you or did you not do something? Are you a pure person because you've managed to abstain from certain acts? Purity of heart is what are you focused on? What has your attention? What moves you? What drives you? What is the one thing you will? What is the one thing you yearn to be true, you long for? What is the one thing that you pursue? There's a story in the scriptures when Jesus goes to visit um, a lady called Martha and he goes to her house and her sister Mary is there. And um, the story is very simple, but Martha is in the kitchen basically preparing a big dinner for them. And Mary is just sitting at Jesus's feet, just listening to him talk, asking him questions. And it's, it's so it's kind of sweet. At the end of the story, Martha comes in and says, Jesus, don't you think it's a bit unfair that my sister is just sitting with you as I'm doing all of this work? Can you tell her to come and help me out, right? And Jesus says, and I love the way it's phrased in the scriptures. Uh, I think it's in, the, it's in the gospel of Luke around chapter 10. Jesus says to, um, to Martha, he says, my dear Martha, and he says, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about all these different things, all these different details, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. So he's saying, look, there's so many things in your mind. You're so distracted. You're so busy in your mind, but there's only one thing to be aware of. There's only one thing to be concerned of. There's only one thing to will and your sister has discovered it. And ultimately that one thing was the simplicity of being with him. And so we're confronted by a God who is dependent upon us in this very uh, mysterious manner. We're confronted by a God who above everything else wants relationship. God can't have relationship with you by himself. God needs you to interact in that relationship. And ultimately, that is the one thing that God requires of you and desires from you is relationship, is pursuit, is a desire for him. And it doesn't need to look like anything more than what Mary does, just being just sitting. You know, we've turned all these, these kind of ideas of relationship with God into very religious acts. So even the word prayer feels kind of so, I don't know, difficult. Um, and it just isn't. It's so simple. In fact, Jesus speaks about prayer and he says, don't make it complicated. Don't put on a show. Don't perform. 
He says, go somewhere quiet and go somewhere secluded and speak to God like you'd be speaking with a friend. And he says, even if you want me to give you the words, I'll give you the words. And he gives us what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. And it's such a simple prayer. It's a prayer that both asks for the lofty um, ideas of the kingdom coming to earth, but it's also a prayer that asks for three square meals. You know, give us today our daily bread. It's a simple prayer. And what God requires from us is a simple relationship, a simple attitude when it comes to being in connection and communion with Him. So blessed are the pure in heart really begins with Jesus saying, blessed are those who have one focus, who have one will. Because those who are distracted and those who are busy and those who are disillusioned, they'll miss it. And I'll go so far as to say, I, I think almost the opposite of being pure in heart is being cynical in heart. Ma Mary had this, this genuine childlike simplicity to her faith and her longing just to be with Jesus. Whilst Martha had this list of things to do to make the moment justified and to make the moment everything that it was meant to be. And then when Mary didn't help her, she got annoyed and she got frustrated. And it's so often in our frustration, we become cynical. In our disappointment, we become cynical. And we start to look at people with simple, you know, approaches to life and simple um, expressions of faith as less than. And we get frustrated by them. And I think cynicism is what makes it harder and harder to return to simplicity. Because ultimately, cynicism says, well, it can't be that easy, you know. It can't be that easy. I've learned things about life. You know, life is hard. Life is difficult. God isn't like that. God isn't simple. And it's based, often it's based upon the disappointments and the, the unique and personal um, pain that people have experienced, that they start to redefine the simplicity that we're actually invited into. And so one of the practices um, that I've done for, for a little while, and it sounds a little kooky, is when I pray, I often genuinely look at an empty chair in my living room and I speak to the chair. Because if I can't speak to God like another person in the room, I'm making it too complicated. And that process brings up the cynic within me. It brings up the, no, no, you got to do more, Josh. You know, you got to do more. The prayers have got to be more lofty. The approach has got to be more spiritual. And it confronts the cynic in a way that needs to be confronted, you know. And it helps me see the beauty in the very normal, very attainable, very approachable um, expression that God requests and God desires and God hopes for. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer said that. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because God is the definition of ultimate reality. Later on in the, in, in the scriptures, there's a line that says, in him, in God, we live, move, and have our being. We live in God. So the breath you breathe, the ground you stand on, the relationships you experience, everything is an experience of God. God is in all things. 
Christ in me, the hope of glory. When you experience me, you experience the Christ in me. In the same way, when I experience you, I experience the Christ in you. There is no part of creation that God hasn't inhabited. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, if I go up to the heavens, if I ascend to the skies, you are there. And if I descend to the depths, you are there. There is nowhere that God isn't. And so God is in all things. So when we think about God, what we think about is the most important thing because that defines everything else. What Jesus is saying here is what you believe in your heart, you will see. What you believe about God is the God that you will see, which I think is so powerful. Our viewpoint begins within, not external. What you see is cultivated internally before it's experienced externally. So we have to really put value and weight upon the way that we're processing our life because it will produce the lens that we have the next day. And for us, as pilgrims walking the spiritual path, we have to continually evaluate and explore the image that we have of God. If we have the image of a God who is cold and distant, a God whose face we'll never see, we have to ask ourselves, where did we get that from? Where did we come up with that? And is that true? And for me, I've, I've decided, I've decided to read these scriptures and believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if I can't see it in Jesus, I don't receive it to be true of God. The, the, uh, let me read you this quote real quick. This is a mystic who I've quoted a guy called Meister Eckhart a few times on the podcast. This is one of the um, predecessors of Eckhart, um, Albertus Magnus. He said this, we must cast out of our minds the impressions and images and forms of all things which are not God so that we may look upon God within our own soul. For the soul is more intimately and more closely present to each thing than each thing is to itself. When we enter deeply into ourselves, the eye of inner vision is opened and a ladder is prepared by which the soul may ascend to the contemplation of God. <sighs> if that's not some meat in a pilgrimage sandwich, I do not know what is. Wow. We must cast out of our minds the impressions and images and forms of all things which are not God. Blaise Pascal, the theologian mathematician said, God made man in his image and then man returned the favor. So blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God isn't so much about what you do and what you don't do. And if that can be classed as or defined as being pure, Blessed are the pure in heart is saying, is there space in your heart for a focused, intentional longing to truly see God for who he has always been? Jesus is saying, in blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, he's saying, do you see me? Do you see me right now? Can you see me? What is in the way of you seeing me for who I am? What is in the way? Have there been past experiences of pain and trauma that you have put on me that have now redefined me 
so that when you see me, you don't see God, you see this Zeus-like deity far up in the sky throwing lightning bolts. You know, is the face of your father painted upon the face of the divine? Is the face of an old teacher stitched onto the face of God? Are there past experiences that are redefining God? The pure in heart are those that have stepped into the process of being healed and being liberated and being free to the point that they're unburdened by their own experiences so they can truly see God for who he has always been. Now, throughout the scriptures, Jesus uses this term Abba when referring to God. And Abba is this very intimate, very tender name for, for father. It means daddy. And he calls God this name, not just to establish God as a man. That's way too limited. He's evoking everything it means for God to be a father. And in doing so, he reveals that God is everything the best father could ever be. Nurturing, caring, kind, loving, providing. But he also provokes within us the experiences we all have of our own earthly parents and the ways that those experiences could have defined and limited the way we actually see, perceive, and understand God. So every time God calls, sorry, every time Jesus calls God Father, he actually presses against the deepest wound of the human heart, the wound of being rejected or abandoned or made to feel less than by our own earthly parents. And he's continually saying, that's not what God is like. God is exactly like I am. I am revealing the nature of the divine. And so a simple, a simple practice that I've done a number of times, which I'd encourage you to do is this. God, what would it mean for you to be my father today? And answering that question is actually a process of purifying the way that we see God because it will, it will actually minister to the wounds in your heart that have, because of your experiences here on earth, have redefined God as being someone who he isn't. And then we start living out each day as if those attributes of God as a good and loving father are true. We start putting them in process in our heart. Like what if, what if God is kind? What if he's a kind father? whether you had a kind father or not. What if God is a kind father? And then you wake up the next morning and you live that day as if God is a kind father. If God is a kind father and his posture towards me is one of kindness, then perhaps I'm empowered to reflect that kindness to others in a way that I haven't done before. Perhaps I was always looking for love in a way that I don't anymore because I'm beginning to believe and receive that God is actually a loving father and so I'm not going to look for it and search for it in places that damage and hurt me see the whole like distortion of purity is we've talked about purities as actions of do's and don'ts right historically but your behavior is always defined by what you believe so if purity is about behavior 
and we're never talking about purity as being what we believe, the behavior is never going to change. But if we talk about purity as what we believe, well, then the behavior comes with that, you know. Our actions are defined by what we believe. A story that always comes to mind when I think of this scripture, um, blessed the pure in heart, is the story much later on in the Gospels of Doubting Thomas. And Doubting Thomas is the nickname given to Thomas, kind of unfairly. I'll dive more into that when we do an episode on doubt next year. Um, but it's a story about a man who is told by his friends that they have seen Jesus after he has died, right? They've seen the resurrected Jesus. And man, it would suck to be Thomas because basically you've seen your friend Jesus die. He was murdered. And then all your other friends are saying that they've now seen him. And they're just kind of expecting you to believe it. And it would be so difficult because these guys are traumatized. And not only are they traumatized, but they're living in fear of having the same consequence as Jesus had to his life, death, by the Romans because of them being associated with him. And so they say, ah, oh, Thomas, it's all good, man. Jesus showed up. And Thomas says, I won't believe it. No, I won't believe it unless I can put my hands in his scars. I saw him get crucified. And unless I can put my hands where I saw the spear, the spear go into his side, if I can put my hands where I saw the nails go into his arms, then I'll believe. Well, eight days later, Jesus shows up again. And it, the story goes, he goes straight up to Thomas, pulls back his sleeves, says, put your hands in the scars. And, and, and Thomas is just like dumbfounded. He says, Jesus, Jesus, my Lord, you know, my God. And Jesus then says, have you believed because you have seen me? Because blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And this really ties back to the, to the beatitude. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. To be pure in heart is to believe something so courageously, with such deep conviction within, to believe something internally, that you actually see it externally. Jesus saying, have you seen this externally? So now you believe it internally. Because it's better when you believe it internally and then see it externally. It's better to believe deep in your soul that the earth is not a dry, cruel, indifferent place. Because if you do, that's the world that you'll see. It's better to believe despite the evidence that the world is still brimming with the hope of redemption, bursting forth with beauty, a playground of joy. Because guess what? That's the earth you'll see. Better it is for those who have believed and then seen because what they saw was ultimately an expression of what they had already believed to be true. If you're struggling because every day you can't help but complain, you can't help but, like Martha, feel frustrated and irritated. You can't help but feel cynical and disappointed. It may be that it has nothing to do with what's going on around you externally. 
but everything to do with you internally. It's like to see God is to see reality as it truly is. It's for the veil to fall off. It's for the windscreen wipers to wipe the window of all the muck and the dust so you can actually see the true beauty and the true gift of what it is to simply be here another day. My encouragement to you, friends, is to take time to analyze, to explore what's in your heart, what from your past might be affecting your present, what might be redefining the way you see the world and ultimately the way you see God as a result of what you've been through. Last week, we explored this notion of forgiveness. And I think there are a few things that clear our view like forgiveness. And it might be that after listening to this episode, you want to go back and listen to the one from before to remind you that there is a way forward and that there is an opportunity to not be bound by the experiences of our past, that we can let go, that we can be free. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who will one thing. Blessed are those who desire just to be with God. Blessed are those who desire a simple life and a simple relationship with the divine. Blessed are those who have let go of the distractions, the disillusions, and the disappointments that have defined God as being something or someone that he's never been. For they will see God. The kingdom is yours.